So more of the same. Bond yields even higher. Same for the US dollar. Equities pushing lower again, although a bit of a last-minute rally in the hour of power. And Aussie inflation yesterday not changing much at all, but the Aussie dollar taking a bit of a hit today. We'll look at why that is ahead of the retail numbers today. And counting the days to the USA government shutdown. You only have to count to three, in fact. It's Thursday, the 28th of September, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, massive moves higher in oil this morning. New highs for the year today, back to November levels. In fact, WTI is up 3.6%, almost to 93.60. Brent is up 2.7%, up to 96.50. Not even a hop, skip and a jump now to 100, is it? It's just a hop. And bond yields pushing higher again today. Another eight basis points on 10-year treasuries, up to 4.63% at one stage, which is a 16-year high. Uh, they've pulled back a couple of basis points now. Less bond movement elsewhere, up in Europe, but generally only three or four basis points higher for 10 years, uh, a bit more than that in Italy and Greece. Aussie 10 years have moved up pretty much in line with US 10-year treasuries this morning. And how far will the US dollar go? It's up another 0.6% on the DXY, up over 106.8. It's new highs for the year, but it is pulling back now to 106.6. And the Aussie dollar uh, definitely taking a hit, down 0.6% today, below 63.6 US cents. It was worse than that earlier. The euro is also down 0.6%. The Swiss franc down half percent, the yen down 0.4 percent, the pound down 0.1 percent, and equity markets down again. Although there was a bit of a last minute flurry to the close, the Dow reached into the green territory, but then it was back down again to close 0.2 percent down. The SP was down 0.7 percent at one stage, but finished flat. The Nasdaq managing to claw into the green, it's up just 0.2 percent at the close. The Euro stocks 50 marginally up, the FTSE 100 closed down 0.4 percent. So now it's tap strictly in this today from NAB in Sydney. So oil so much higher and presumably that's because we've seen inventories falling. We saw an extra 2 million barrels down last week in the numbers out this morning. That's after 2 million down the week before. And yet, you know, we've been seeing this week data, but this is surely a sign that consumption is strong if we are consuming this oil. So I guess that is adding, isn't it, to the higher for longer narrative, which is which is pushing yields ever higher. So is, is that what we're seeing today? It's really interesting what's happening with oil prices and uh, WTI oil is up around uh, 3% overnight and uh, the, the key reason is is um, you've seen suppliers around the world cutting production at the same time that inventory levels are also dropping and we got some news out of uh, Cushing, Oklahoma just saying that uh, inventories at that big hub have dropped just below 22 million barrels which is close to operational minimums there um, and uh, that is starting to delve a little bit of fears that the market has destocked so much uh, inventories for for now. And I think these levels of inventories were last seen in 2014. So the oil market is still very tight and no surprises really to see near-term contracts of uh, WTI up higher. But I mean, the inventories must be down because we're using this stuff. So, you know, that doesn't go with the the argument that maybe things are cooling. It's, It's a combination of both. So it's a combination of both demand being relatively strong but also on the supply side as uh, as well um, yeah. so it's probably the combination but again it does illustrate that demand is still resilient yeah and that demand obviously is uh, you know pushing this higher for longer uh, story so which is pushing uh, US yields higher so how much higher are they going to go how long is this going to go on for it's a very good question and you did see US 10 year yields up 
overnight. I think they reached a 16-year high of around 4.63%. And what I find really interesting about this, and this is related to our discussion about oil prices, it's it's not really fears of inflation that is driving yields high. So uh, when you look at um, the implied break-even, um, so the difference between uh, yield on a 10-year Treasury inflation protected security versus a, a nominal. Uh, that break even has been relatively steady, hovering around 2.35. What's really been driving it is real yields. Um, and so uh, re- real yields overnight rose. They're currently hovering around about 2.27%. Um, so it, it's still unclear exactly how high yields will go in this cycle. Um, what is also interesting is uh, now uh, the US term premium has turned positive according to some measures. And the Kim Wright measure uh, is uh, positive um, 5.9 basis points. And the Adrian Crump Monarch measure is positive at 2.9 basis points. So it is really interesting just given that term premium had reached a generational low of minus 1.67% in 2020. And that was partly due to that declining inflation that made investors willing to accept lower long-term yields. Um, and uh, at least in the post-GFC era, um, quantitative easing may have also played a role in artificially suppressing ter- term premiums. And that's starting to go uh, into reverse, it seems. Now, we're still pretty light on data. Well, we got the Australian inflation numbers, which we'll talk about in just a second, but fairly light for the US, apart from durable goods orders, which were better than expected overnight. They're expected to fall in August, but they didn't. In fact, a slight increase. Uh, although perhaps that's because the July number was revised down quite a bit. And I guess we should, I know what you economists say, you've got to look at the trend and the trend certainly is is slower, isn't it? Yes, so really second tier data. Um, and uh, it, it looked like it did contribute a little bit to the uptick in yields, but it wasn't a big, big driver there. And as you said, uh, they rose uh, 0.2% against expectations of a 0.5% decline. But again, uh, um, some revisions to the past history there. So why is the, on currencies, why is the Aussie dollar taking so much of a hit. I mean, it did, I think it was, what, down 0.8 or so earlier on. It's, it's, it's climbed back a little bit, but certainly it was the, uh, the the worst performer, if we were talking a couple of hours ago. Uh, is it the risk element? Is it uh, is it just following the S&P in the US, which is perhaps why it's back up a little bit? I and mean, it's worth noting the VIX is uh, pushed a little bit higher in the US as well today. Or is it still that differential between what's expected by the RBA versus the Fed? What, I mean, what, what's happening with the Aussie dollar? I, I think it's a combination of, of, of all three there. Um, and after the um, – and we'll talk about the details of the CPI indicator for Australia that came yeah. out yesterday. Um, but – in the immediate um, aftermath of that, you did see the Australian dollar tick high, but then fell back. And actually, when you look at RBA pricing, uh, there's not that much priced in the Aussie curve, really. So there's about a 43% chance the RBA hikes rates at the November meeting, and only an 88% chance that they do an, an another hike at all by May. Um, so right. you compare that to US Fed funds pricing, which is still pricing around a 50% chance of another hike by um, January next year. Um, it, it does suggest that interest rate differential is, is is playing a factor there. And perhaps people were prepared for a, um, a less positive print than that we got out of the CPI indicator. Um, and then right. if equity market is selling off, historically no sell-offs, um, the Aussie has, uh, has followed. And the Aussie is one of the most risk-sensitive currencies out there along with the Kiwi. Well, I think the NAB is predicting, aren't they, that more of a chance of a, a Fed hike in, in November. And uh, those CPI numbers, let's look at those. I mean, that probably just heightened that expectation, didn't it? Because uh, the services inflation number, the headline number wasn't a surprise, uh, but the services inflation number came in pretty sticky yesterday, didn't it? 
It did. So if you look at just the headline indicator, it rose 5.2% year on year from 4.9% uh, uh, last month. And that was entirely as what we expected and as the market had expected. But we're looking quite closely at the details and they all show very sticky services inflation. Indeed, when you look at uh, broader measures of services inflation, it's running at 5.6% year on year. And that's pretty much where it has been hovering since December 2022. So no, not too much disinflation really occurring in the services side. So in other words, going through to the stickiness in services inflation. And that's also reflected in non-tradables inflation, which is running at 6.2% year on year. And indeed, all the disinflation that we have seen so far has really occurred on the tradable side of the economy, and no surprises there. Um, you've seen global goods prices uh, falling. Um, but domestically, um, you've got a very, very tight labor market. You've got energy prices that are going up, um, and no surprises why you've got uh, sticky services inflation. So in NAB's view, we think the RBA is not done yet, and that they'll hike again uh, by by November. And really, um, if you think that, um, sorry, if you cast your mind back to the RBA's August SOMP, they had already assumed one further hike, but they've yet to deliver that. And so uh, in our view, they need to deliver that hike, and that will be done in, in November. But also, if you think services inflation in Australia is relatively sticky, then the RBA may have to do more than one. Um, and so I think um, people should start thinking about, does the RBA actually need to hike more than one more time? And does, do, they need, uh, do they need to do that by the end of this year? So I think that's where the conversation will s- start to turn. Um, in terms of why markets and why some analysts are still very cautious in terms of whether the RBA will, will go again, I think the RBA has been doing a bit of a disservice to um, to um, markets by always almost hinting that the very last hike was indeed the last hike of, of the cycle. Um, and they've been hinting and playing that kind of game since December last, last year. And so I'm really not letting people prepare for uh, the risk of, of higher rates playing out. Do you think that's what their PR people are telling them? By the way, SOMP, which was in the middle of there, is a statement of monetary policy. I'm sure most people know that, but just to, you know, just, just filling in the gaps for some people. Hey, just before we move off inflation, bread, uh, 10% in the month. Uh, that's <laughs> I. Oh, so this is why the Dobby household is now making sourdough. It is a bit like having a small child, but it can save you 9 or $10 a day. And if we all do that, then maybe we'll get those inflation numbers down a bit more. Uh, you'll be doing your bit. So uh, do we get retail sales today? Uh, ahead of that, uh, weaker online sales data and the, the NAB online retail sales index yesterday. Actually, I'm still trying to figure out what to make out of that. It looks like online sh- the online share of total retail might have fallen whilst the, the, the retail sector is still showing mild growth. But we'll find out today, won't we, with those retail sales numbers and job vacancies as well for Australia. Pretty important. Yeah, both of those are going to be important. So our internal transactions data suggests retail sales rose by 0.4% month to month in August, and that's slightly more than the 0.3% consensus. And I think it is right that the share of online retail is edging a little bit lower, um, just given everyone's uh, interacting with each other again now. Uh, although s- saying that, I recently did a couple of presentations and uh, was investigating online retail sales, and the online penetration ratio uh, is much higher than what a pre-pandemic trend uh, would have had online mm. retail at. So uh, yes, maybe the online share is starting to ease back, but the absolute level of online retail sales is far and above where you would have expected to have been if we didn't have yeah. the uh, pandemic. Yeah. Um, and because, then in terms of... Because we all tried it and saw. 
Yeah, exactly. And in, ter- in terms of job vacancies, we're expecting a further fall there. Uh, but just worth noting, um, there are only 1.2 unemployed people per job vacancy in Australia compared to around three prior to the pandemic. So still a very, very tight labour market. And before we look at uh, what else is coming up today, let's just come back to the United States because we're just a few days away from October the 1st, the US government shut down. There's a couple of stopgap proposals uh, from either side. So that doesn't sound like a recipe for uh, mutual agreement, does it? When, when both sides have got their plan. Uh, they're going to say, no, I don't agree with yours. Uh, the Wall Street Journal saying that there are sharp differences on spending levels, Ukraine, border security, just those, you know, small issues, uh, pretty central to the political debate. Uh, so uh, you know, it seems like from some quarters, there's almost a, an intention to force a closure. So Ralph Norman, a Republican, quoted in the Wall Street Journal today, saying he reckons there's a 99.9% chance of a shutdown. So still a chance it won't happen. Uh, and he predicts a closure for a month. So what are the economic impacts if this goes on for a month? I mean, what does it mean for the US? I mean, we talked uh, yesterday or the day before about how, you know, there's not going to be a lot of data uh, for the Fed to go on. But for example, I mean, if the Aussie dollar is getting hit because of risk sentiment, is that going to play on the Aussie dollar as well as the US dollar? It it could very well. And I think at the headline level, the biggest uncertainty is you won't have any economic data effectively being published. Um, so you have the Fed and even the US Treasury a bit blind in terms of economic developments there. So that's one interesting aspect. Um, you, With the government's shut down, you tend to get a furlough of um, US public servants. And I think in one of the price shutdowns, that amounted to about 300,000 people. Um, and so that can weigh on economic ac- activity because those people aren't, aren't being paid, although their pay will be caught up once the government uh, comes out of sh- shutdown there. Um, so uh, historically in those kind of sh- shutdown periods, you've had a rally in bonds. So you've seen bond yields fall and you've seen uh, stocks sell off. What I find interesting is heading into um, the potential of this shutdown is uh, you've seen um, equities fall, but you've actually seen uh, bonds sell off, and indeed yields going higher. Um, So I think that's one interesting difference to prior shutdown periods. Yeah, I mean, if we're not getting data, we know that people just assume the worst, don't they, really, in in the absence of anything to tell them otherwise. Uh, And confidence goes down, which is a nice little segue to consumer confidence in Germany yesterday. Still fallen further, uh, but, um, you know, how nuanced do you want to be? I mean, it's bad, they're worried. Now they're ever so slightly more worried than they thought they were. So these are worrying times for Germans and Europeans generally because France's confidence is down too. But maybe more significant, loans to companies uh, is up just 0.6% year on year, uh, presumably in absolute terms. Loans to households up 1%. Uh, I mean, the, the company's figure is, uh, you know, down from 2.2% for the year to July. So all of a sudden, quite a drop. So that's less borrowing, less money in the economy, pre- presumably less growth or slower growth. Uh, yes, and that's one of the transmission mechanisms transmission mechanisms of monetary policy. Um, if you tighten mm. financial conditions, then you'll have less, so it's working. less borrowing. So, yeah, so it, it is a sign it's working. And I think European policymakers will probably take that to, to heart, that it is right. a sign. Okay, well, there is lots to chew over today, apart from the uh, retail sales in Australia, uh, German CPI uh, and the ANZ Business Survey and some central bank speakers. Also, uh, uh, jobless claims as well for the US and the, the final read on the Q2 GDP as well. So take your pick from that lot. You can talk, talk about one or two because we're running short on time. Sure, I think the most important will be uh, Chair Powell. So he is speaking mm. um, at a town hall with educators, but he's taking questions from both the in-person audience and from virtual 
participants. So uh, I think there is a little bit of uncertainty exactly um, how much this high for longer theme is playing out. And you can clearly see that in the reaction in yields uh, post the FMC meeting last week. So I think that will get the most attention. Right. Well, can he turn the direction of bond yields around? Well, does he want to? And the US dollar, can he stop that skyrocketing higher? Uh, we'll find out what happens. Good to talk anyway, Tapas. We'll catch you next time. That is. Thanks, Phil. So that is Thursday morning's morning call from NAB. I'm Phil Dobby. Back again tomorrow morning. I'll see you then.